turn with me to Exodus chapter 29. We want to con- uh, finish the last few verses of the 29th chapter, starting with verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With, uh, with the lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering through your, throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, uh, before the Lord, where I will meet to speak with you, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. That's a key point. We'll come back to that. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. They shall know that I, guess who's in really the centerpiece here? I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Father, we ask again for the work of your spirit as you would speak and not me, uh, Lord, that uh, your word would be magnified and we would not only understand it, Lord, but we would embrace it and, Lord, apply it in our lives. By the work and the help of your spirit, we pray, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Daily Sacrifices, Daily Sacrifices. And I've divided our text that we'll look at this morning into three, uh, three sections, His plan, His pleasure, and His presence. His plan, His pleasure, and His presence. And if you're visiting, you know, there's always so much depth we can only cover, but so much in you know, 50, 60 minutes or so, but... Uh, what I do want us to see is, Lord, what, what is it that you want us to know and to do and to experience and to live like we see way back here? This is something foreign to us in the sense that uh, we, don't, we don't go to a tabernacle, do we? You know, made of skins and, and furnished gold, and you know, we don't have the menorah lampstand lit. And we, don't ha- we don't go to a tabernacle where the priests are, are dressed. This was a period in Israel's history. It was supposed to continue, but again, the reason it didn't continue is the nation turned to idolatry. And God brought judgment, and then the tabernacle and the temple ministry stopped completely for a period of time. It was revived, of course, uh, when the children of Israel... God, after 70 years of captivity, allowed them to go back. Of course, this is the temple now I'm speaking of. The tabernacle was all before the temple, right? The tabernacle was used uh, in the wilderness, and then it was used again when they got to the promised land until Solomon built the temple. But later they would bring uh, back a remnant uh, from the land of Babylon, which uh, at that time was the Persian Empire had taken over, and they would rebuild the temple, and they would reinstitute these very things that we're talking about here. They would restart the daily sacrifices. The priest would once again be sanctified. The Lord wanted that to continue for all generations, but then again, the children of Israel turned back to sin, and eventually it was taken away. The sacrifices were taken away first by Antiochus Epiphanes. He takes away the daily sacrifices. And then later we know that after Jesus, who comes to be the sacrifice in uh, 70 AD, when Titus comes through and levels Jerusalem, then the sacrifices are ended once and for And we have not seen in the world these things take place since 70 AD. These daily sacrifices have not... So it's foreign, not only to us as Gentiles, to see these things, but it's even foreign even to the Jewish person, not foreign in their knowledge about it. Many of them are aware of these things, but none of us have seen this type of daily sacrifice where every single day, every day in the morning and in the evening, there is a burnt offering going up to the Lord. So what 
what is God saying to us? We're not, to return, you know, we're not told as the New Testament church, we're not told to rebuild their tabernacle and reinstitute the priesthood and reinstitute all those things. Those things will be reinstituted in the millennium reign of Christ. Read the book of Ezekiel and you can see exactly what takes place, that God will bring these things back. But for us, what is God saying to us? And that's why I want to look at these three things this morning, His plan, uh, His pleasure, and His presence. Now, if you've been with us back in our, our prophecy series back in November, uh, remember that I will, from time to time, remind you of the principle of duality. Remember that? The principle of duality, that scriptures mean multiple, simultaneously true things at the same time. Make sense? Simple example I give on a regular basis. I am a son. I am a father. I am a husband. I am a brother. I am a pastor. They are all simultaneously true, but anyone could write an autobiography from any one of those vantage points and only center on one, but it doesn't exclude the truth of the others. True? And the same is true with the Scriptures. The duality, if you are studying this area and you want to just dig into the priesthood and the sacrificial process here, there is much to be learned. You know, why, why would they go through this process? And we're not going to take that kind of in-depth study this morning, uh, but there is, the, uh, there is the necessity that God gave the children of Israel, says, this is my plan. This is how I want. Remember, we studied uh, two weeks ago how the priesthood was sanctified and they were set apart for service. And God says, all right, these are the things that they must do, but this is the way. I didn't say the sacrifice would be two of them in the middle of the day. No, one in the morning and one at twilight. You couldn't alter it. You couldn't say, well, God, let me do it a different way. He had a specific plan. And as you know, as we've been going through the book of Exodus, everything that God shows us in the tabernacle and in the ministry of the priesthood and uh, the different articles within uh, the Holy of Holies, the different articles in the tabernacle itself, all of them had to be done a very specific way, right? I don't know about you, but I find a lot of peace of a God who tells us exactly what we're supposed to be doing, right? And then just this week, um, it, it, you know, when you see like what took place in Boston, where there's chaos, God comes in the middle of our lives when we were yet in sin and chaos and he not only gives us salvation, but he says, I'm going to give order to your life, meaning to your life. We call it direction for our life. Now, the problem is a lot of times once God gives the direction, we say back, those weren't the directions I was expecting or even thinking about or even hoping for. I had a different mindset of those kind of directions. God, this seems really really overkill that we would actually have to do sacrifices every day, not just every day, in the morning and in the evening. That's awful tiring, right? And yet God says, no, no, that's, that's the way it's going to be. And it's not for a week. It's not for a month. It's not for 10 years. It's continual throughout all generations. Never will you stop this. Well, the only thing that would stop it would be you know, basically sin to the point where, remember that the sacrifice themselves are for sin. And yet sin itself would actually stop the sacrifice. Now, as we understand duality, meaning that the text means more than one thing at the same time, think about the fact that the priesthood, they were called by the Lord in this plan of God. He said, this is what I want you, this is what I want the daily sacrifice look like. They were called to intercede for the people. Now, the priests were sinners themselves, right? One of Moses' calling, we know, going back to Exodus 18, uh, is that Moses was called to be an intercessor for the people. He was a picture of, a type of who? The Lord Jesus. We know that Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25 tell us that Jesus is the intercessor for us. And, of course, Hebrews tells us more than just he is the priest on our behalf. So he intercedes for us. He's the one that goes for us. And yet, at the same time, when you think about duality, these spotless 
sacrifices, they point to who as well? Jesus as well. That he would not only be the priest to intercede, but he's actually the sacrifice. He's both the sacrifice and he's the priest. And even though they were supposed to do it continually, it tells us that Jesus' ministry is continual and his salvation is continual. And thankfully, he only had to do that once in Jerusalem, outside the city, where he was sanctified as the perfect offering for us. And yet, there's something here for us. We see the clear picture of Jesus, and yet there's something for us. There was something for Israel at this time. God wanted Israel to know that every day they would get up, they would need his mercy. How about you? Every day when you get up, you need God's mercy, don't you? You need it in the morning. You need it before you go to bed. And you even need it when you're not awake, don't you? Every day. And so for Israel, he was pointing to them that daily they would need, daily they would need God's divine intervention. Every single day they would need his cleansing power. Every day they would need, and when this took place, that he would actually be in their midst. They would need redemption. But for us, it's also something we see here. We can see ourselves also in the priesthood. Why do I say that? Well, the priest had to have a set-apart life. Their life was dedicated to daily, every single day, ministering before the Lord. And you and I are called to be kings and priests, aren't we? We know that we're called into this royal priesthood. Uh, We don't serve with great robes anymore. We actually just serve with the robes that only God can see that he's placed upon us. And if you're looking this morning at the text, day by day, continually, two lambs, this is what you shall offer. Not somebody else. This is what you shall offer. The Lord speaks to you and me. He says, Tim, this is what you shall offer. My life, your lives, are to be lived sacrificially. We don't have to be, we're not the sacrificial lambs. Jesus has done that work. But now we are to daily, as Romans chapter 12 tells us, be what? Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Daily laying ourselves down on the altar. It's a daily thing. It's a day-by-day thing. It's a continual thing. Now, I thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Because if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, I would have given up a long time ago. How about you? There's no righteousness in me to keep me serving the Lord. There's no righteousness in you, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ is the one that gives you a desire to be here today. There's a lot of people that have no desire to be here today. And they're not here. They have no desire to be here. If God doesn't save me, I have no desire to be here. Or anywhere else that is actually gathered to magnify and worship the Lord. But the Lord gives us that desire at the point of salvation. But then he says, but it doesn't stop there. I want you to daily live for me now. Every day. Lord, I'll I'll fall a lot. I know. He says, read Jude. I'm able to keep you from stumbling. Jude 124. I'm able to present you faultless. I'm able to keep you moving forward. You just do what I've asked you to do. And simple obedience. I love that song. I had no idea, Tawan, that we're going to sing. Trust and obey. There really is no other way to be what? Joyful in Jesus. Happy in Jesus. There's not another way. We think there's another way. A lot of times. Satan will say, there there is another way. Here's what you do. Uh, You just make sure you go to church on Sunday, and God is happy with that. But this was daily. It didn't say just on the Sabbath, these two sacrifices a day, right? It was not a Sabbath offering. It was a daily offering. Every day. All the time. And so we need to just do what the Lord tells us, to be reminded, Lord, I want to start by giving myself to you every single morning. It's very simple. God didn't ask me to go slaughter a lamb. He didn't ask me to go drain the blood and then make sure you get it on the altar. But he told, 
just every day to re-sanctify or re-surrender my life every day. And we pass this on. Not only is, as believers, those of you that have children, you'll not only be doing this, but you'll be passing it on to the generation because your kids are watching to see, is your life really set apart for the Lord or not? I was telling someone just this week, uh, having difficulty in a marriage, I said, let me be clear with you. Your kids are watching your marriage like you would never believe. You may not think they are, but they are. I'm a child of divorce. I know what it looks like. I could have a doctorate in it, I think, if there was such a thing. And I said, look, they're watching your life. If you tell them all these beautiful Bible stories, and if you tell them all these things, and you actually disciple them, but they see that you actually don't love each other, you've voided the discipleship. They consider it a false report. You know what I mean? Because they're looking at, and they say, what's real here? But when you say, no, 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 we will continue to disciple, but God disciples us, and We love one another. We care for one another. We're not perfect, but we continue to die to ourselves. That's when our children say, I will carry this forward to the next generation and to the next generation. This is what the Lord says, look, you can't stop doing this, and it must be done correctly, sincerely, and you'll be able to pass it on. You know, Job in Job 1.5, it said that Job would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He knew that he was called not only to present himself as a living sacrifice, but those as are parents were called to intercede for our children. We have a priestly duty in the home. This you shall do in verse 39, in the morning and the other at twilight. God is the, he's the God of our mornings and our evenings, isn't he? He's the God of all day. He's the God of 24 hours. That's why Paul would later write, pray without ceasing, to be continually offering up the sacrifice of prayer and knowing that uh, we don't have to you know, worry about placing some sacrificial offering because we have Jesus. We have the spotless Lamb of God that was slain once for the sins of us and all the world, shed away, um, or with his shed blood, he cleansed away all of our sins, and we know that we can daily, hourly, throughout the day, call upon the name of the Lord because of his great atoning blood, not needing anymore two sacrifices, but like the priesthood, we would daily surrender ourselves. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I believe that if I should preach to you the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else twice every Sabbath day, my ministry would not be unprofitable. Perhaps it might be more profitable than it is. If he said, he said, if I preached every single Sunday on the same topic, twice every Sunday on the atoning blood of Jesus, his ministry perhaps would be more profitable than it was. And of course, he had a very profitable ministry there in London. But we're asked by the Lord to take that atoning blood and represent ourselves. He covers us by that blood. He covers us by that forgiveness. And we take the forgiveness he's given us and we represent our mind and our bodies back to him daily. But we have to present it the way that God asks us to. Remember that this offering, it was a daily offering reminding the children of Israel of the very sin that is always in the midst. D.L. Moody said, God doesn't seek for golden vessels, nor does he ask for silver ones, but he must have clean ones. And so, We have the uh, juxtaposition that on the one hand, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. Everyone agree with that, right? And on the other hand, we're called to live lives of purity and holiness. So what do we do? The children of Israel 
they had this daily reminder of their condition of needing God's help, needing God's forgiveness. And we have the same with one great difference. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit, and we have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life already, but we still have the same reminder daily of our need of God to daily cleanse us and our need of God to daily fill us, but He's given us His Holy Spirit and His Word to illuminate that truth constantly to us. Because we're very forgetful people, aren't we? We'll forget in a week something that God had stirred in us that was really, really powerful and reminding us of just what he did to sanctify us and save us, and we'll have forgotten it, and we'll instead our mind will be caught up in some piddly nothing, worldly, trivial thing. Much less uh, something you know, sinful or uh, you know, really you know, nasty that God wouldn't want us in, but just even trivial things. But know this in our lives, in our, in our Christian life, sacrifice, if we're to give our lives daily to the Lord, if we're to give our lives as living sacrifices, sacrifice without real repentance has always been repugnant to God, repulsive to God. It's the same, you know, if, if, you, cheat, if you cheapen God's grace and say, well, you know, His grace covers it. You know, thank you, Lord, for thank you that you saved me. Uh, I'll see you next week. I'll see you at the end of the day. It, this wasn't a trivial thing. There was a lot of time and effort that went into the daily sacrifice. It wasn't a trivial thing. They, they had to really understand the depth of the importance of these things. And so sacrifice in and of itself, just saying, just saying with our lips, I give you this day, I give you my day, Lord. But there's still sin in our life. There's still rebellion in our life. There's still apathy. There's still a continual resistance to the Spirit there's a real problem there. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah chapter 1, listen to what God says about sacrifices. Verse 11 says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings. So sacrifice alone, even if the children of Israel kept doing the sacrifice, that wouldn't in itself please God. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Even if they kept doing the daily sacrifice twice a day, if their hearts weren't in it, it was, fought, it was, it was fraudulent. Read it again in Isaiah 1.11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? To me, says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings. Then he goes on to say in the 13th verse, bring no more futile sacrifices to me. Incense is an abomination to me. Now we know that the sweet aroma God loved, but here he says, no, no, I don't love the smell of it. Same sacrifice. We're talking about the same daily sacrifices. He goes on to say in the 15th verse, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. And this is the danger of us going through the motion of saying, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I sing this song of worship, but God says, no, 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 I test your heart. You went through the motion, you watched the priesthood do it, or you this, that, and the other, but your heart wasn't there. We know that every day, all of us, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we have sin. We have sin that needs to be dealt with. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's the simple sincerity of coming to God and saying, Lord, I've really blown it. I've watched way more TV than been in your word. I have not prayed hardly at all. I've abandoned your word. I have gossiped about other people. I've been thinking these. And, and God says, look, I know all that. What will you now do? Will there be a sincere sacrifice? Or will it be like Isaiah describes, just kind of something to gloss it over and say, Lord, please forgive me that. I promise not to do it anymore. It takes some time 
Sometimes I was telling another brother this week, I said, you know, some things, Jesus said, remember when the, the, the demonic spirit couldn't be cast out? I said, this kind comes through prayer and fasting. God will test the sincerity of our hearts and say, look, are you really willing to lay it on the altar? Are you really willing to follow my plan, not your plan, follow my plan and lay down your life and something I've told you to crucify in the flesh, are you really willing to crucify it? Something that is holding you back from really serving me. Something I've told you to do for weeks or months that you won't do. God says, until you do that, there is a hindrance between my blessing you. There's a hindrance there. And eventually, if you continue to persist, God will say, I will chasten you in that area. And I said many times, isn't it so much more to give it to God than him to come and say, I will now assert my authority. See, this is what Israel waited for. Instead of giving the sacrifice with the right heart, they would say, oh, we, we're still spiritual. We still do the daily sacrifices. And God says, I know, but it's a fake. It's a fraud. Your heart isn't in it. You do the daily sacrifices, and then you go away and you sin as if there was no sacrifice. And we would cheapen the grace of Jesus if we who are convicted by the Holy Spirit, don't allow God to clean up the areas that must be cleansed. Amen? He wants us to have those areas fully cleansed, fully purified. James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow wicked and receive with meekness the implanted word. God wants you to receive this word this morning with meekness. The implanted word. I'm not giving you my opinion. I've read you from Isaiah, from James, from the scriptures themselves. Jesus, when he actually, we actually see a picture of what we see here in Exodus 29. We see highlights of it or hints of it, even in the model prayer when Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. That's that morning, that morning devotion to the Lord, that giving ourselves to the Lord. Now, when we give ourselves to him, he gives us what we need. That's the daily bread. But remember, first the prayer was your will or your plan or your way, not my way. Well, Lord, if I was designing how, how I should actually live, I would do it this way. God says, I didn't ask you. Moses, I did not ask you how to design this. I didn't tell you, or you didn't come and say, hey, I think we should do it this way. I didn't tell you what you want to hear. I told you my plan. And it really does work. And I said, you know, it, you know I've been, uh, ever since February 17th, what, whatever I did to my back, some of you asked this morning, how are you feeling? And I said, I feel great. I mean, I might have pain, but the more I walk in the Lord, the more I realize that just walking in his path and his plan, it really, his grace truly drives through anything. Circumstances are irrelevant to God. And there is such a peace and such an anchor in just trusting and obeying. There really is. You can be happier afflicted than if you tried to make yourself the perfect life. Do you realize how many unsaved people that have it all are tormented in their minds? living on Ambien? Right? Do you realize the number of subscriptions to things like Ambien in America has gone through the roof? We are the most medicated nation on the planet, and it's not even close. I'm not just making that up. I've read the studies. You say, well, you're probably... No, no, it's fact-based. We are by far the most. All that we've been given, people are disturbed and constantly anxious. And God says, I told you to give, I told you what peace would look like. It would be your life as a daily sacrifice. And people say, I don't believe that. The three words that keep in my mind constantly this year in 2013 belief, joy, and commitment. And whatever we believe will transform us in joy and commitment. If we believe the Word of God, if we, if we believe when Paul rewrote what he observed in the Old Testament, Remember, when Paul says, present your body as living sacrifices, he's using that imagery because of his life as a complete and dedicated student of the Tanakh and the Torah, right? 
That's why Paul, we're going to, a couple other verses before we close this morning, Paul will always look back to the Old Testament imagery to show us what that looks like in a New Testament believer. So Jesus said in the model prayer, first of all, present, your God, present yourself to God. His will. Not yours. That's a dying to yourself and say, now, every day, cleanse me of my trespasses. And if you have things against other people, you need to go make those things right. And then when all those things are done, he says, yours is the kingdom and the power. Do you want power in your life? Present your body as a living sacrifice. Do you want to glorify God? And yours is the glory forever. That's continual. That's perpetual. You know, if you and I want to see the power of God in our life, we do it Jesus' way. His way. Not our way, but His. Psalm 20, verse 3 and 4 says, May He remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Because sometimes He wouldn't, like Isaiah shows up. But may He accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. And I love this next part. This is what God does for us. When we, when we would surrender to Him, this is what he does. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Doesn't mean that God is going to, oh, this is great. So now, let me get this straight. If I do what God says, I get a new built-in swimming pool <laughs> and the money to keep it up. No, no, no. Your desires will become like his desires and you'll fulfill his purposes and that will please you more than the built-in pool. By the way, I'd love to have a built-in pool. All the great things it would do for my back, I could swim back and forth and all that stuff. But God says, I got something better than that. I've got my power. And you either believe that or you don't believe that. And that's what faith is, isn't it? It's saying, God, your way is greater than my silly intellect. Let's look at his pleasure. Let's look at his pleasure. Not ours but his pleasure. It tells us in the text that, verse 41, as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. A sweet aroma. God looks at our lives surrendered to him as a sweet aroma. That gives him pleasure. You know, we weren't created for us. Adam and Eve in the garden were created for the Lord. They were to remember God gave them, remember even then, even before sin, they had a list of instructions. Tend the garden. When I come in the cool of the day, come and walk with me. Name the animals. Right? So they had, there was things that they were to be, God says, these, God always gives us a plan. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet, right? Order my steps according to your word. Not order my steps according to what the world... Because the world has a plan too. I've listened to their plans. And a lot of their plans aren't evil. They're just misguided, right? They'll try and scare you to death. If you don't have X amount of life insurance, what are you going to do? right? If you don't have this much in your 401k, if you don't have this, and, and all these things that the world comes up with, you know, if I bought every single security package that comes to me in the mail, there'd be nothing left in the bank, right? Say, what if I just serve God and please him and let him take care of all the rest? What about that? What if we do that and let's not... Jesus told the disciples, why do you worry about all this stuff? You can't make a hair grow. Mine grows gray now, as you can see on my beard. You can't make it grow a different color or length. Sorry, you guys that are balding. It's not coming back. <laughs> well, it will when you get to heaven. If, unless you like being bald. Maybe then his pleasure will let you, know, he'll let you stay that way. I don't know. But we don't, we don't live our lives for our pleasure, or we're not supposed to. 
But that doesn't mean that God won't give you pleasure. It just means that you don't pursue it. The problem with the children of Israel is they stop pursuing the daily holiness and they turn their attention. The more they acquired, you, you heard me read from Hosea when we prayed for a nation, the more they acquired, the less their heart was in the sacrifice anymore. And they would, have, they would actually farm it out. You guys take care of the sacrifice. You've got the nation covered with that daily thing. You guys keep doing that. You Christians take care of the Sundays. I'm working on my backswing. Right? And over time, they had become inoculated to pleasing the Lord, and their life became about pleasing themselves. And this is grossly crept into the church. And all of us at times are guilty of it. Every single person in this room is guilty of it at times, myself included. And when I am guilty of it, God says, hey, put that down. Get on your knees. I've got people around the world I need you to pray for. I've got this need. Or when I sometimes, if I'm thick-headed, I'll get a call when someone has a need, and God will remove it. And I will immediately have to spring into prayer and action anyway, right? That God loves us enough to teach us that our life is not about creating pleasure for ourselves. Because pleasure is such a fleeting thing anyway, isn't it? That's why you want genuine joy that comes from the very throne of God. You want hope that comes from the Word of God. You want the things that only God can have, or only God can give us. But First, we want, as we direct ourselves to the Lord, we want to please Him. Not because we're looking for a better score on our report card, but because of all He's already done for us. The children of Israel, they had a lot to already be thankful for. They could never forget that they had been saved from slavery in Egypt. They had been saved from certain death of the Red Sea. They had been saved from certain starvation. They had been saved from certain death by no water. And the Lord can continue to bring these things. And then he says, look, I set you apart to serve me all the days of your life. Now, when you do, eventually your light will shine so bright that all the nations will come. And they stop believing that. And over time... Instead, the nations despise them. Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Do you want God to take pleasure in you? Take pleasure in Him. It's that simple. He wants our lives to be a sweet aroma to Him. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love, as Christ has also loved us and given himself, there's that sacrificial life, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Again, Paul read the Old Testament a lot. He writes, basically, many times, an Old Testament commentary, if you will, that Paul's saying, hey, just as Jesus was a sweet aroma to God, we're to walk the same way. That, you know, when they sprung up in popularity, the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? Well, he walked sacrificially to please his Father. Remember, he said, everything I do, I do for the Father. Everything was for the Father. We can't say that, but we need to get the place that year after year, we can say almost everything's now for the Father. That we can get to the place that less and less is about us. And more and more is about him. Philippians 2.13. Matter of fact, a lot of Philippians, I think Paul must have had the Old Testament and these type of passages in mind. He writes, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's about pleasing the Lord. I've said it before, when you get to heaven and God gives you these beautiful crowns, what will you immediately do with them according to the Scriptures? And hand them right back. That makes no sense. Why give it to us anyway? I'm saying that facetiously. It makes sense as I understand the Lord. It does make sense because 
God created us to glorify Him. What happens when man glorifies himself? You end up with the most brutal dictators on planet Earth. Every person that loves themselves is problematic enough. But you give a person that loves themselves 100% power, Mao Zedong, right? Stalin, Hitler, people that love themselves, they become their own God. And we have many people that are little gods. They just have their own little fiefdoms, their own little kingdoms. But it ends in total destruction. But if we live our lives as an offering to the Lord, it has eternal generational impact. You know, a dad that lives as a daily sacrifice and then has a son that actually says, I too will follow Christ. And then has a son that says, I'll follow Christ. They don't bring destruction to the world. They bring salvation. They bring hope. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Why do we say the three names together? Why do we say them together? Because we see they had a generational effect. Each one followed their father and living and sacrificing their life and say, I'm going to follow dad's sacrifice. And those three men, though they weren't perfect, we all have benefited from thousands of years later. We didn't benefit much from the evil dictators, did we? No. Although even God can use evil and make something good out of it. Praise the Lord that he can. All the things that go wrong, God can still make things right. But generationally, God says, if you please me, I will do more than you could ask, think, or imagine. Not just in heaven, but here on this earth. Much of what we see in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can observe even to this day, it had an effect that was salvation for many, even in, um, even in the world, not just in the future. Philippians 2.17, we see this drink offering. Remember that they, at, when they would do the sacrifice, they were to pour out the drink offering, and it was mixed with oil, and you had the flour there, and you see a clear picture of the anointing, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, the poured out wine of his blood being poured out, the flour being his body. We see a pure, uh, uh, clear picture of Jesus. And yet at the same time, Paul tells us this is also how our lives should be. How do we know this? Because he says it in Philippians 2.17, speaking of his own life, he says, yes, And if I am being poured out as a drink offering, where did he get that concept? He's speaking of exactly what we're reading. The drink offering was poured out. Paul says our lives are to be poured out like a drink offering and the sacrifice and service. Our lives are to be ministering until Jesus takes us home, if you live to be 95, you minister to the Lord until you're 95. If you live to be 55, you minister till 55. But he says, just let your life be poured out as a drink offering on the service of faith. And he says, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Paul had, how many questioned that Paul meant when he said he was really glad and was rejoicing? Here's a guy that lived, you know, you heard the read the, read the letter from Felix, Brother Felix, You know, Paul lived with constant afflictions, and he was constantly full of more joy than, you know, feasting pagans all around him, right? I mean, at one time, he ends up in Rome, where people in Rome did everything to satisfy their flesh. They were not happy, and here's Paul, genuinely happy because his life is being poured out. It seems to run so counter to our... But remember, go back to point one, his plan is perfect. It works. His pleasure. Let's close with his presence. His presence. And it says in, uh, in verse 42, um, this shall be a continual burnt offering that your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you. And I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Let's understand the tabernacle was not sanctified by the sacrifices. That's clear in Isaiah. 
that God was even nauseated at some point by their sacrifices. The blood sacrifices of animals never sanctified. It pointed to sanctification. Who sanctified the tabernacle? The presence of God. Who sanctifies you? The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not even the prayer to him that sanctifies. It's him coming and responding to it that sanctifies. But he looks at the heart, doesn't he? He says, look, if you follow my plan and you daily give your life a sacrifice to me, if you do it my way, and you humbly say, Lord, here I come again. Tomorrow is going to be what? The 22nd. You'll be like me tomorrow. Here I come again, Lord. Imperfect as I am, will you please make me whole? Will he do it? Yes. He'll come and he says, I'll meet you where you're at if your heart is humble, if you're not playing games with me, if you're honest about where you're really at, and and you ask God for help with things that you can't seem to get past. Do you believe in that it'll help you? He really will. Lord, I, I don't even like this person. I've prayed that prayer. I haven't had to pray that prayer in a long time. But I had this one person, when I, I'd only been saved for a couple of years, and I had to pray that prayer uh, a lot. Someone that I worked with that despised my walk in Christ. And I had to constantly say, Lord, I don't love them, but help me love them. But the honesty with God, see, you can't, you can't play games with God. He knows what you really think. You can't act like you mean something else. You can do that with people, but you can't do that with God. So I say, Lord, I, I want to love them, but I don't love them. God says, well, love them in obedience. In other words, they'll think it's fake. I'll know it's fake, but I'll know you're obeying me. And after I did that for a while, uh, I just read uh, F.B. Meyer in, that little, in his little booklet, The Blessed Life. He says it this way. I, I love it. He says that sometimes as Christians, we almost have to make believe. What does he mean by that? What he was saying is there is times where God has told you what to do. You say, Lord, if I do it, it's going to feel fake. And God says, I know, do it anyway. The longer you do it, it will no longer feel... It. What happens is you're stepping in the realm of my, my perfection, and it feels foreign to you. So the more you walk in it, it won't feel foreign to you. What will feel foreign was the former feelings, which were the lie. The truth actually feels weird. And God says, so you just walk in it. So I would start to, I would start to pray, Lord, help me to love... And you know what? After a while, I really did love this person. And I had compassion on them. And the Lord mended a lot of things. They didn't get saved, at least not. Maybe they are today, praise the Lord if they are. But while I was there, but there was peace after a while. And the Lord just says, look, just keep doing what I say. I'll meet you. I'll tell you what to do for this day. He says to the children of Israel, I will dwell among you. I'll be their God. This relationship, when we do exactly what the Lord says, we trust Him and obey Him, and we do it for His glory and His pleasure, our relationship becomes personal. Notice it says how many times? It says, I will dwell among the children. I will be their God. They shall know. Not the priesthood. Every single person would know personally. They shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up, there's his saving arm again, brought them up out of Egypt, that I may dwell among them, and I am the Lord, their God. As a parent, I don't want my daughters, I don't want God to be my God. I want God to be their God. I don't want God to be my God only. I want God to be your God, personally. There may come a, what if our church burned down or we couldn't come here? You still need your God no matter where you're at, right? It doesn't matter where we're at if our relationship is personal. Where I am, you'll be right there with me, right? That he would meet me at the door of wherever I live, wherever I'm at, 
Wherever I need to hear from God, He's with me, by me, protecting me, speaking to me. It's personal. See, the world doesn't understand. When those of us who have been born again, we, when we say we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a lot of times that doesn't, they don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? What does that mean? I have a hard time describing it sometimes. I'll admit that. And sometimes I can just, you know, it's weird. As believers, sometimes I can describe it really well, and other times I feel like I can't describe it. Does that make sense? Why is that? Because it's supernatural. I can only explain it to a certain point. The rest I say, look, you're going to have to believe on faith, and when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he will meet with you, he will be your God, and you'll know his presence, but you can't, pr- you can't show it on video. I captured God's presence on video. I was in prayer this morning, and now I can show you, oh, co- oh unbelieving coworker. I can prove to you that his presence is there. You can tell them all your testimony, and they're still not convinced. Well, I used to love this and this and this and this. Now I hate those things, and I don't know why. Well, you probably just went through a phase. No, no, no. His presence, his presence will know he's our God. He's our personal Savior and provider. And the more we humbly follow the Word of God, the more we humbly follow the Word of God, praying and asking for the help of his Holy Spirit, the more personal that relationship becomes, more and more personal. Matthew Henry said, God will not fail to give those the meeting who are diligently and conscientiously attending him. Are you conscientiously and diligently attending the Lord? I'm not talking about working for your salvation. I'm not talking about, man, if I can just do enough good things to please God. I'm talking about you can't do anything to please God. Let's be clear. But you give him pleasure when you say, I just present myself to you. Use this. Moses, I mean, Abraham called himself, I love what Abraham called himself, nothing but dust and ashes. Is that the way you see yourself? That's good. Say, Lord, I present, here I am, it's Monday morning, tomorrow morning. Here I am, 173 pounds of dust and ashes. Lord, Sometimes 172, sometimes 170, I don't know. But, you know, in that range, Lord, here I am, nothing but dust and ashes. Use me for your glory. And God, test my heart. Do I actually mean it? And then when he says, well, you almost mean it, but here's this area. And you say, all right, Lord, I'll yield that too. Then, guess what happens? You wake up, you get off your knees with a big smile and say, Lord, now use me today as a light and a witness. Amen? Let's close in prayer.